Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. This is what Christianity is about. It is about grace or supernatural intervention or God's divine power versus anything that we can naturally come up with. What the Bible describes, you know, becoming a Christian, it's describing something supernatural. It's describing something that you can't do for yourself. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31 in a message titled, Law and Grace. Now, here's Pastor Brian. It's great to see everybody, and it's good to be here once again to continue our study through this great letter to the Galatians. We're kind of coming to the you know, sort of the climactic moment of of Paul's um, argument here for grace over law. And I have actually myself been excited about getting to this portion of the text because it's just so, it's so powerful. It's so beautiful the way Paul just, you know, drives this, this point home here. And as we move on from this point, he's, he's going to, go, you know, once again back and, and reference the issue a few times before he completes the letter. But this is kind of the main final argument for grace uh, over law. But let me just remind you of the, the background, just kind of set the scene. You remember Paul uh, in the previous verses, he talks about his, his concern that his efforts among the Galatians might have been in vain. So, you know, at a, at a certain point, Paul just has to wonder, like, you know, did, it, did the gospel really take with them? Because they're, they're being led astray into this other thing that is not a gospel. They're being led astray into this, this legalistic system. And so he expresses concern about that. And then he went on to say that he felt that he was laboring in birth again until Christ would be formed in them. So he's not going to give up. He, he's not going to just leave it where it's at. He's going to labor through. He's going to, just like a woman you know, bringing forth a child, he's going to keep persevering for them in, in presenting the truth to them, no doubt in praying for them. And then he said to them, you remember and this is verse 20, right before we get to our passage for today, Paul says to them in verse 20, he said, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. And you can, you can almost sense the, the change of tone, even in what he writes there. You know, Paul's been very aggressive toward them in, in wanting to show them the the folly of their position. So he said some, you know, pretty hard things. He began by referring to them as, as being foolish. But what he's saying now is he's saying, look, you know, kind of paraphrasing, he's saying, no, I, I want you to hear my tone. I want you to know that what I'm saying to you isn't, isn't born out of anger toward you. No, it's, it's born out of love. 
And as we come to verse 21, it seems to me that it's as though he looks at them with eyes full of compassion and he asks in the most concerned and tender way possible, he says to them, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Paul's like, look, don't you get this? You don't want to go under the law. If you, if you understood the law, you would not be moving in this direction. You just sense that it, it's, a, it's a moment of, of just great tenderness as he's just pleading with them to not continue in this direction. Now, he's already shown them from the law. He's already shown them that there's a curse upon all those who break the law. And he, he showed them that from the, the writings of Moses, from Leviticus chapter, I think it's 29, where he quotes, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things in, that are written in the book of the law to do them. So he's already said that to them, but now he's going to use an incident in the life of Abraham to kind of finally you know, drive the point home. Now, Paul has done this already. Paul has gone back beyond Moses to Abraham, and, and he's going to do it once again here. The, the Judaizers, the emphasis was on Moses. The emphasis was on the, the covenant at Sinai and all the different aspects of that. But Paul keeps taking them back to Abraham, showing that, no, the, the relationship that we have uh, with God through Christ is that we, we need to understand that through God's dealings with Abraham. And so he takes us back to the life of Abraham and he speaks to us about the, the fact that Abraham had these two sons and that they are representative of the two covenants. So what he does is he sets forth his argument in three stages. First of all, there's the historical. Then secondly, there's the symbolic or the allegorical. And then thirdly, there's the personal. So we're, we're going to break the, the verses down like that. So first of all, the historical. So Paul says, for it is written, verse 22, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise. So that's the historical. So Paul is referring back to the birth of uh, Ishmael and the birth of Isaac. So the, these are the two sons. In our Bible, you find the stories in uh, Genesis 16 and then in Genesis 21. And so in, in the story with Ishmael, what you have there is, remember, God had given Abraham this promise that he was going to be the heir of the world, as Paul would put it in another place, and that through him, all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. And this was going to come to the world through his descendants and primarily through one descendant. Uh, but then God had told him, you're going to have children that are innumerable, are going to be just you can't count the stars in the heaven. You're not going to be able to count your children. You can't count the uh, grains of sand on the seashore. You're not going to be able to count your children. But yet at this time, Abraham has no children. And 
the problem is he's getting old and his wife is getting old along with him. So as they are going along in life and as they're waiting for God to fulfill his promise and it just seems like there's, there's a huge delay and they don't understand why you know, the promises haven't been fulfilled and they're not getting any younger, uh, Sarah comes up with the idea and she pitches it to Abraham that, and, and basically, even though she didn't say it this way, it was like, okay, obviously God needs us to help him out. So here's what I think we should do. So Sarah has this young uh, Egyptian handmaiden, and her name is Hagar. And Sarah says to Abraham, let's do this. Let's, uh, you can have a relationship with her and she will, you know, conceive. And then I will take the child after birth and I will raise him. And this will be the way we will get a son. Now, that was a, a, a perfectly normal thing in that culture. Because in that culture, what mattered more than anything else was that you had not just a child, but that you had a son. Because the son was the person that was going to perpetuate your name and, uh, you know, all of your, uh, everything was going to be passed on to the son and so forth. So, so that's what Sarah suggests. Abraham agrees and Hagar conceives and, and has a child and his name, or his, he is named Ishmael. And now it seems like, okay, great. Now we've got the, we've got the child that God you know, promised, and now we're going to just you know, take it from here and trust that God's going to fulfill his purpose in a multitude of descendants and so forth. So then the Lord appears to Abraham and starts to talk to him about this son that he's going to give him. And Abraham's like, well, hey, Lord, no, it's okay. We got, we got the son. Ishmael, we, we've got him. And the Lord's, I'm paraphrasing all this, of course, the, the Lord's like, uh, no, that's not the son. Abraham says, oh, Lord, but let Ishmael live before you. And God says, no, this is not what I was talking about. You're going to have a son by Sarah. Now, the thing about this, of course, is that Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is like 89. And so this just seems impossible, but God says, no, you are going to have a son by Sarah. And as a matter of fact, this time next year, she will have brought forth your son. And so, of course, that does happen, as God said, and uh, Isaac is born. And then in chapter 21, we have the story of the, uh, the weaning of Isaac. And in those days, when a child was weaned, there would be like a celebration, kind of a party uh, that was thrown for them. And as that was happening, uh, Ishmael, the older son now, as he's over maybe in the corner watching, he starts to mock Isaac. And Sarah sees this mockery. And she says to Abraham, she says, cast out the bondwoman and her son because he is not going to be heir with my son. And Abraham, of course, is heartbroken at this point. He thinks, no, I can't do that. I love Ishmael as well. But the Lord speaks to him and says, do it. She's right because he will not be heirs with Isaac. And so uh, Abraham sends them away. God promises that he's going to bless Ishmael. But he says, but my covenant will be with Isaac. So that's the, that's the history behind the whole thing. But listen, here's what it says. And this is an important thing to note. It says that 
the one who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Now, what does that mean? What it means is this, that Ishmael's birth was a natural birth. When it says he was born according to the flesh, it just means simply that he was born through natural processes. In other words, there was nothing uh, supernatural about it. There was no divine intervention. It was just what was naturally produced by a man and a woman. But then regarding Isaac, it says this, that Isaac was born according to promise, which is a reference to the supernatural aspect of the birth of Isaac. So Isaac's birth is a miracle. There's no miracle involved with, with the birth of Ishmael. It's, it's just all through the natural process. But Isaac, because Abraham is 100 or you know 99, and, and Sarah is 89, there's no way this is going to naturally happen, that they're going to have a child. God has to intervene, and that's what the promise is about. And so Paul says that these two people and their experiences are representative of the two covenants. And so now he moves into the symbolic aspect of all of this or the allegorical Uh, you can say as well. He says, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So the two covenants, and remember the two covenants are law and grace. And so Paul says, actually, these two people are representative of these two covenants, that these two sons with their mothers represent actually two religions. The one is a religion of bondage, which Paul obviously connects with Judaism, and the other is a religion of freedom, which is what we would call Christianity, which is what the gospel was about. So, so Paul says there's an allegory here. Now, now Paul was a Paul was a rabbi, and this is a very rabbinical uh, way to approach a text. If you read rabbinical writings today, they're they're available today. You can read what the ancient rabbis wrote, and you will find that they would many many times they would read things into the text that that really weren't there, and. This was just a typical way for a rabbi to write. Now, Paul is not doing that, but it is, it kind of has a rabbinical flair to it because it's not obvious when you look back at the story that there's a spiritual allegory, but Paul, through the spirit, looking back on the story, says, actually, there's a lesson here beyond the historical account. God's showing us through these two people, he's showing us the two covenants. Now, the two covenants... Let's talk about the two covenants for a second. I want to take a little bit of a diversion here from the topic and just take a minute, just because it comes up, to, to talk about the fact that, that our Bible is divided into two covenants. We know that, right? There's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We commonly call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament was, is 
and, and when we talk strictly about the covenant, we're talking more about the Mosaic covenant, but that was a covenant that was for a particular group of people, the nation of Israel, at a particular time in history and in a particular location, the land of Israel. And that covenant was a temporary covenant that lasted from the time of Moses at Sinai till the coming of Jesus the Messiah. When Jesus came, Jesus himself instituted a new covenant. So now, here we are, and for 2,000 years, the church has lived under the new covenant. Now, we believe that the Old Testament is God's word as well. We believe that there's plenty of application for us, but we also recognize that there are certain aspects of the Old Covenant that do not have any application to us because they were those things were for that nation at that time and in that place. Now, this is why I'm saying this, because today in our current cultural situation, as you know, there's a, an increasing hostility toward the Christian faith. There's uh, accusations constantly being made by people in the media and, and other places uh, how the Bible promotes things like genocide, and the Bible promotes things like slavery, and the Bible promotes, uh, you know, the stoning of, of people who are gay, and the Bible, you know, uh, promotes the oppression of women, and, you know, you hear this kind of stuff all the time. And here's what we need to know for ourselves, and we need to also know this to be able to speak to people who say those things, that 99.9% of the time, when somebody is talking about that sort of thing, their reference is to the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, you can't find any of those things that I just mentioned. You can't find any of that in the New Testament. And I like to remind people that, hey, listen, we, we've, that, that was done away with 2,000 years ago. You know, the church has never been under the Mosaic law, at least not intentionally or not as God intended. If the church has ever come under the law, like the Galatians were doing here, it was... It was wrong, and, and it was corrected. And so when we hear people today, now here's the problem. They just say, oh, well, you know, the Bible says this, and the Bible says that, and the Bible promotes this. We have to remind people, well, listen, the Bible has two covenants, and one of them was done away with 2,000 years ago. So I, I have even said to people, it's like, show me somewhere in the New Testament. That's what I, I want you to do. Show me somewhere in the New Testament to support your idea here that the Bible teaches genocide or it teaches oppression of women or whatever. And of, of course, you can't do that from the New Testament. But we're under the New Testament. And we need to remember that as believers so we can respond if the opportunity comes up. We might not be on a talk show being interviewed, but uh, you know maybe somebody next to you at work is going to ask you that question, or maybe they're going to hear it, or they're going to read it somewhere, and they're going to say to you, oh, but you know the Bible supports this or promotes that or whatever. So we need to be clear in our own minds that we're talking about two different covenants, and the one, and especially those aspects of it where there were... Uh, you know, the, the commandments to destroy or to, to, uh, to judge or to condemn, those were all under uh, a very uh, specific vision for a nation at a time. They were part of the national legislation and things like that. So let's, let's not forget that. There are two covenants and we are under the new covenant and the new covenant is the covenant of 
grace. Now, as Paul says here, these are symbolic. So the message of Abraham's two sons and their mothers, uh, Hagar and Sarah, these are symbolic of the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. And there's a contrast between the lives of these two men, Ishmael and Isaac. Now, it's not so much their lives that's being talked about. It's, it's more their, their, the circumstances surrounding their, their births. So it's not like Ishmael in his life represents a certain type of religion and Isaac represents another in his life. No, Paul's point is going back to their birth. So the religion of Ishmael represents a religion of nature. A religion of nature of what man can do by himself without any special intervention of God. And, and that's what happened, right, with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. We're going to help God out. So there was no dependence on God. There was no intervention by God. They, they were naturally going to bring about the fulfillment of the promise of God. But with Isaac, it's a different story. The religion of Isaac represents a religion of grace of what God has done and does, a religion of divine initiative and divine intervention, for Isaac was born supernaturally through a promise. And this is what Christianity is about. It is about grace or supernatural intervention or God's divine power versus anything that we can naturally come up with. Now, I keep referencing this, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that what the Bible describes is in, in you know, becoming a Christian, it's describing something supernatural. It's describing something that you can't do for yourself. But the Christian life, being a Christian is a supernatural thing that occurs in one's life, just like the birth of Isaac was a supernatural thing. Isaac is not going to be born unless God moves upon an 89-year-old woman and a 99-year-old man. It's not going to happen apart from the intervention of God. And likewise, you will never be a Christian apart from the intervention of God. You cannot make yourself a Christian. Nobody can make you a Christian by pronouncing some sort of a you know, blessing over you. You are now a Christian, my son. It doesn't happen that way. God... It's a thing that God does. It's a supernatural thing. You know, people say that, um, well, you know, there's, there's no proof for God. Give me some empirical evidence for God. You know what? There is proof for God. And I'll tell you what it is. There's empirical evidence. I know people whose lives are unexplainable apart from a God. the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. If you've ever pondered if there is really only one way to God, or if all religions ultimately lead you to God, then this book is for you. Rebecca McLaughlin addresses this very topic and others that confront Christianity head on. The book Confronting Christianity is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. 
So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.